Hello and welcome to the Mindset and Self Mastery Show. I'm your host, Nick McGowan, and on this show, my guests and I unpack the stories that shape us and the lives we lead on our path to self-mastery. Today on the show, we have Dennis Procopio. Dennis' backstory involves the evolution of a trauma victim into a business owner who works with men between the ages of 20s and 60s who are having difficulty reframing negative self-talk or creating long-term goals, chunking these things out into short-term goals and staying accountable, and he helps them even manage relationships in a very healthy way. Now, we cover a lot of ground in this episode, and this is one of the most informational-packed episodes to date. So let's not wait any longer. Let the games begin. Hey, Dennis. Welcome to the show. How you doing, man? Hey, Nick. Uh, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you being on. Uh, I've had some great conversations, or communication, rather, back and forth with some of the members of your team. Um, and your team's awesome. You've been awesome so far. I know we've been kind of shooting the breeze a little bit, so I'm excited to get into some of this stuff. But Dennis, why don't you uh, kick us off with some context? Tell us who you are, what you do for a living, and one thing that most people don't know about you. Uh, who I am? Let's see. So I am a 51-year-old um, life coach for men um, with a little bit of a colorful backstory, which probably informs my decision to move into a male health and wellness, uh, space as a career and arguably my legacy. Uh, I make the joke that my story, if it were written, which is on my to-do list, uh, would, or should I say will, read as an Oprah Book Club Book of the Month uh, story. It's kind of a little bit of a tearjerker and an inspirational story all rolled into one. So some of the finer points include poverty, abuse, uh, alcoholism, uh, some drugs, some jail, uh, but also on the lighter side, um, some a lot of experience with women in relationships, uh, which again, uh, lends itself to my uh, my ability to coach relationships. Uh, mm-hmm. I was an academic phenom um, and ended up getting really high grades and being accepted uh, to the Cooper Union for the Advancement of Science and Art in Manhattan, uh, where I studied art and went on to become an art educator, uh, where I discovered you're not really an art teacher you're a coach who teaches art techniques and with about a million stupid jobs and and weird stories in between i landed uh in new orleans louisiana both before during and after that's not really both that's three things both before and after hurricane katrina uh so there's a side quest there. Um, And I ended up with my lovely partner, uh, who is the mother of our almost 12-year-old son, Bennett, who is uh, autistic. We now live in San Diego, California. I operate as a men's life coach, as I've done for nearly a decade under the brand Man Up Life Coaching. And... If there's one thing that I could say that people don't know about me, it is something that I didn't know about myself until this year, which is that, like my little son, uh, Daddy apparently is autistic. Man, 
What a thing to find out later in life. Um, it was a wild thing to find out. I assumed that I was, quote, just crazy because I'm mm. a Jewish Italian from, you know, Philadelphia. Oh, yeah. All right. Uh, who has a history of abuse. So it was probably PTSD. It was probably, oh, he's, fr- he's Calabrese, so he's hard-headed, you know. Um, that maybe it was the 24 different schools I've been to. These are all true things, and they're unfortunate, but I've learned that neurotypes are a thing, Mm -hmm. and I've learned that I am diagnosable as a very specific neurotype, which is neurodivergent rather than neurotypical. And that is a Mm -hmm. fancy way of saying... I am not a garden variety um, processor. I process differently. And folks who are like me uh, typically have a challenging time operating in a neurotypical world. So to think of processing, the way that people process through things just in general um, is probably super unique to how they go about it, at least to themselves. They think, oh, I process things differently than other people, if you really think about it. So the fact that there are different versions of processing and that you now understand later in life, did that kind of flip the script for you where you then thought kind of back through everything you've ever done and like, oh my gosh, that's why I've made these decisions or that's how that all worked or, or have you not gone through that? I've absolutely gone through that. Um hindsight is of course 2020 of course um or in this case 2022 and um i you know i at first was challenged by the label autistic um and i realized that there is ableistic uh i should i should clarify um, in the autism community, uh, the term ableism, and frankly, in the disabled uh, community at large, the term ableism is obvious. It applies to the people who have the privilege of not dealing with the disabilities that some of us do and mm-hmm. making certain assumptions about how you should operate, which um, are unfair to the challenges that we face. So I recognize that there's a little bit of ableism in the way I thought of autism. I used language like high or low functioning. I now know Mm. better. That's not appropriate. But um, I was so familiar with the sort of Rain Man autism, air quotes, low functioning stereotype that it didn't occur to me that people like Elon Musk, for instance, are also identifiable as autistic, which is a fact. Mm -hmm. So when I look back at my life, I realized I was saying, oh, well, I can't, I could never be autistic because I got great grades in school. I could never be autistic because I'm such a great communicator. I could, uh, you know, I, I, Fake being social so well. Well, that's called masking, and that is absolutely yeah, appropriate for story. autism. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yes, I did in fact do a full system audit, look mm-hmm. back at you know fifty one years of my life, uh, and replaced old labels like crazy, 
temperamental, um, you know, immature, uh, all of these negative labels, I was able to replace them with autistic and therefore appropriate for your diagnosis. So that was huge mm. and a good thing. Oh, yeah. Well, that's clarity, too. I could imagine if you were when you label something, you state this is what it is. And I want to dive into labels a little bit because your label changed. You know, when you thought, no, nah, I don't want to be Rain Man or I could never be like that. I could never be in that sort of situation. You put a judgment and a label specifically to it. And we all do it naturally. We all just mm. do those things because it's abnormal from what we are used to. It's atypical mm. to what we're used to. So for you to actually go back through and go, oh, like this label wasn't the actual label. I need to replace that label. When you first thought about, well, I'm now autistic, you put a label on yourself. So how are you not subscribing to a specific label and continuing to thrive in life and not pull yourself back to be on this level of a label? Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. And I'm going to demonstrate that I understood the question. Okay. Um, and I'm going to go big. I mean, if we're really going to talk about let's something, do it. let's talk about it, right? Okay. okay. So let's begin with the umbrella of neurodiversity. I'm going to use that as our parent folder, our parent directory. That right. contains everything else. Okay. A subset of that will be neurotypical personalities. Mm -hmm. And another subset of neurodiversity will be neurodivergent personalities. Um, I'm not an expert on this subject matter. I literally just found out that I'm autistic, and my son was diagnosed at five, so we've only dealt with his, uh, his aut autistic identity for, you know, uh, half of his life, a little bit more than half of his life. That said, I've done some reading, and I've done some hanging out in the community, and I've interrogated a couple of interrogated people. and you know because i want to know <laughs> yeah, and yeah. what i've learned yeah and what i've learned is that neurodiversity simply means that there is a spectrum if you could imagine a spherical prismic spectrum of metrics that can you know be uh, used to determine if someone is introverted or extroverted mm -hmm. or has, you know, sense, you know, sensory responses to, you know, everybody is diverse under this umbrella. Now, neurotypical people are people who, by definition, are in a really, a really tight lane and they have in common that they are wired similarly. And they do kind of the same stuff more often than not, which there's a certain level of homogeny there. Mm. And then everyone else, trying to impress you, I said homogeny. That's a big word. Drop those but, 50 cent words. Uh, <laughs> right, right. I think inflation. I think we're up to like a buck 25. <laughs> but so, so uh, that's another conversation. Yeah. Um, so we, uh, you know, we have the neurotypicals and then we have everyone else, which is those people who are neurodivergent. That simply means that we diverge from neurotypicality. But it's an ironic term, in my opinion, since I'm learning 
that there are so many people who technically qualify as neurodivergent, I have to wonder how many people are masking as neurotypical as a survival mechanism. Mm -hmm. Which brings me to my next interesting logical leap, which is probably bullshit, but it sounds good. So let's let's go, go on with theories. <laughs> let's I mean let's double down. So Here we are. so I have this idea. I went to a school called Cooper Union for the Advancement of Science and Art. Okay. Mm-hmm. There's an implied dichotomy there. That science is on one side, you know, that's the left mm-hmm. side of the corpus callosum and uh and and art is on the other side. Right. You could even make an argument for the male brain and the female brain, quote unquote. That's 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 a conversation we've been in culturally over the past, however long we've been around. And this dichotomy of science and art um, is artificial. I am of the opinion that it's artificial Uh, uh, technology. Technos from the Greek literally means Art. And so the term technology itself means the study of Artology. art. Yeah. And right. And so when you see a Renaissance thinker like Leonardo da Vinci, who both makes beautiful uh, uh, illustrations from cadavers, and they're so medically precise that they're still relevant in 2022, you see the best of both romantic and classical thinking simultaneously. Stay with me. Whole brain thinkers or Renaissance thinkers are often known as polymaths or polymathic thinkers. Mm-hmm. I am of the suspicion that we are designed to be polymathic and to be whole brain thinkers, but that whole brain thinking doesn't necessarily lend itself to social productivity. And so there's an argument that we are socially conditioned to be neurotypical so that we can, like the movie Divergence, so that we can do our little jobs Hmm. and serve the hive. Hmm. So back to your original question, which I remember, believe it or not, (laughs) how do you accept the new label? Autistic. If this label means that you're different and you're part of a bunch of people who are different. I think the truth of the matter is that autism and autistic will in the future prove to have been um, sort of stepping stones to the recollection that we are whole brain thinkers and the people who are presently thought of as neurodivergent will eventually be thought of thought of as normal <laughs> and mm-hmm. the people who are neurotypical will be thought of as a sort of co- social construct that existed for a while until we learned mm. better that's interesting with the um the all the thoughts that happen from both sides of the brain and being whole-brained uh, one of the things that you pointed out was not being able to communicate that and get that out to somebody else and i think that right there isn't of itself an example of that science and art of being able to actually get out what you're trying to say, and it's the art of communication. Uh, the labels, when somebody labels something, like if you look at uh, a cup that's blue, you go, it's blue, it's a blue cup, it's easy. And we don't also have to think about that anymore, but then that's all that thing is. With all of the stuff that you've been through <clears throat> and understanding that you're evolving 
the the question of do you look at that label and say, oh, well, that is now what I am, just with a little extra spice to it. And then you kind of took it to a completely different level to be able to talk about how it's maybe actually an evolution. So that's, is it an evolution or is it a, uh, a, 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 a return to sanity? I think that might be semantics because realistically, if, if, things happen let's just run with the idea of evolution for for a second if we say things happen and as we as a human race evolved we also adapted and we changed like even now we don't run around and hunt for our food constantly people do for enjoyment or they do to go out and just do hunting but it's not like when i when i'm done with this i'm not gonna be like man i'm gonna run out and go grab a rabbit or something like (laughs) that so things have changed. We've adapted. We've figured that out. But if what you're talking about of that adaptation of being able to say, well, I need to actually focus on one side or the other to be able to work within this sort of situation, as we grow, as technology advances and we tie into technology, maybe that'll help us understand that we don't actually have to work in one specific environment. We're kind of experiencing that throughout everything that's happened with the pandemic. I was going to say exactly that. So. All right, I, I have. There's a there's a little voice in the back of my head saying, "Do you tell him what he wants to hear, or do you say what you're really thinking?" Right. Say it so all. Let's do the second. I was going to say, let's do the second thing. So you know, I mentioned having gone to college for fine art. Mm-hmm. There, um, I had the opportunity in New York to visit the museums a lot, and one of the artists that I was very um, I responded very both viscerally to and intellectually, and there's a whole argument there if those are different things, hmm. um, was uh, uh, the Belgian artist uh, René Magritte. And he has an image that's become iconic. It's called The Treachery of Images. And it's a painting of a pipe. And it says in French, Ceci n'est pas un pipe, which means this is not a pipe. So it's an image of a pipe that says this isn't a pipe. And that's true. It's not a pipe. It's not. It's, it's a, painting. a painting of a pipe. Yeah. It's a facsimile. So when we get back to labels, you know, I think we need to be careful to be sure that we understand what we actually are before accepting even the most seemingly contextually obvious labels. Yeah. Such as human. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I get that. I went big on you right there. Well, I I, so the box that I'm thinking about that people have to sit in and the reason for the labels is to be able to go, I can get this. I can understand this thing. Yeah, and even with a blue cup, I was told as a child, that's blue. This is a cup. Yep. You drink out of this. Those are labels. So you you then form judgments as you got as you got older, like you had talked about, seeing Rain Man and other things. Your judgment changed when you had a child that was autistic. So you were a little further ahead, I guess, than somebody that may find out similarly to you, where it might be a bit more of a shock. But you kind of thought about that a little deeper and took that to a different level. I appreciate the idea that 
there's potentially an evolution that's happening, or it's a claiming back to the things that are have always been. Uh, and I, I think it's interesting because I've always been told, I don't know, since I was a little kid, we basically use mm -hmm. about 10% of our brain. Mm -hmm. So using 90% more would have to be the entire brain. So That's, even in that I, basic I, I, level, I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. I, even at that basic dumb level of like, I do math, like that sort of stuff makes <laughs> sense to use the entire brain. Um, but you also touched on masking. There are people that are potentially kind of masking some of this, and that's just in general. So there's the labels, there's the mask, and then what people label a mask to be. So which part of this would you like to dive in further with? You know, I'm feeling like I want to just quadruple down on my original intention, which was unforgiving honesty. And I think the reason that I'm going to do that is because it's not only a story about being autistic slash a whole brain thinker slash a polymathic thinker. It's a clinic. Mm -hmm. This is what that looks like and sounds like. And it's not familiar mm -hmm. because it's not typical. Yeah. We have a tendency to follow verticals and to drop the ball on the lateral hmm. drift where ideas come from. Mm -hmm. um, autistics have this tendency to info dump. We gather a lot of information, hmm. and I mean a lot because we're constantly on a lateral drift collecting data. We don't say, hey, the most efficient way to get from point A to point B is a straight line. We say the most interesting way to get from point A to point B <laughs> is this outrageous serpentine path. And look at all the cool stuff that I collected along the way. Uh. And so we tend to, it tends to be one-way traffic anytime we talk because we just ha and hit you mm. with all of this crap that we're super geeked about. Um, and so when I share with you these ideas about labels, mm -hmm. about autistic identity, um, about being the father of an autistic child, uh, about being an artist, uh, and about being a coach for men, if I had to like a jazz musician who finally says, all right, fine, I'll give you the 4-4 four, four time signature and the resolution <laughs> note that I know you're, list you're, home you're waiting you're for. You're hanging on for, yeah. Uh, you're, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just tighten up. So if I had to find in the Venn diagram of all those things I just enumerated, the commonality that makes this digestible for the average neurotypical listener, my experience as a guy coming through chaos, um, learning to adapt in the world, um, becoming a coach for men, and discovering along the way that I am an autistic who has been masking, is also an experience in learning that a lot of guys, with or without a label, are also masking mm. and are 
trying to be what they think they should be by looking at examples that they're learning from examples that they're learning from examples. Mm -hmm. And they're not confident enough to come from a place of authenticity because there's a lot of risk involved there. And the risk is social rejection. Do you feel that one? Yeah. Yeah, I get that. I get that totally. You know, we, uh, we as people can blame parents and say, you know, if my parents had raised me differently or if their parents had raised Mm. them differently or something like that, Mm. there's a certain point where you as a human need to do your own damn thing and figure it out from there. But there are things Mm. that happen as we grow up because those are the people that we see that are doing things around us where we are naturally emulators. Well, what are they doing? Well, that's how I do this. That's like how babies learn to speak. Not like we teach them. Here's the word the. It starts with the T. Baby would just look at us and shit, you know? So it wouldn't help. Um, So the emulations make sense, but where do we... I wonder where we actually start to draw that line. It may be right around middle, uh, middle school where you start to actually look at yourself a bit differently, but things are also confusing as hell. So let's kind of jump a little bit. Now people have been, men, have been confused. They've gone through their teens, their 20s. I know you work with men that are between 20 and, let's say, 60 or so. What sort of issues are you seeing that those people are now having to go back through and process through? Like, what are the common, common things that you need to help them kind of work through? I'm going to reverse engineer my answer to your question. <clears throat> because if I answered it the way you asked it, I would list out a whole bunch of typical problems. But if I went to the solution to all of those problems, interestingly, it's always two things, Mm -hmm. meditation and validation. Mm. Real real talk. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. So meditation is something that I learned by accident. Mm. I told you that I come from some bullshit. And so there was always paper and pencil available, or paper and pen, or whatever. Even in jail, you go to commissary, you get a legal pad and a felt tip pen, you know, and you can sit in your cell or out in the you know common area and draw or doodle or do whatever you want. So that was me. I was that kid. I was constantly self-regulating. I didn't understand that I was self-regulating. That's mm-hmm. that's you know clinical language, but I was self-regulating. Through drawing. What I was doing was a kinesthetic meditation. Wax on, wax off. <laughs> and what would happen is along the way, I would, as- I would assume a yogic posture. I would assume yogic breathing. I would fall into uh, sort of a, you know, a, a rhythmic flow state where my energy was doing what energy does so that it can start to send messages out into the universe and use the old law of attraction to Mm -hmm. get good stuff to come to you. And we can call that good fortune, miracles, blessings, whatever you want to call it. But there is absolutely a mechanism there. So meditation is something that I learned uh, through drawing. And as a byproduct, there were these pictures that people were like, hey, these are really interesting. You should go to art school. Hmm. But it was really the process, not the product. Mm-hmm. that that was my jam. So as an art teacher, I recognized, man, 
these people really need to just stop trying to do art and they need to learn to just be still and see and then document their seeing the way they see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and technique will follow. And so the second piece, which is how art teaching evolved into coaching, mm-hmm. um, the second piece is every, I don't care if it was a, a, a 10-year-old kid or a you know, 70-something hobbyist coming to take an art class, the most debilitating factor in a creative environment is self-judgment. Somewhere along the way, as you suggested earlier, the baby didn't learn the by having been told. The baby just had his, his, his eyes open and his ears, his or hers, mm-hmm. eyes and ears open, and somebody said, you stuck, you suck, you stink, don't quit your day job, artists for queers, or whatever negative messaging, and they heard that, and they got shut down and they put their they took their ball and went home mm-hmm. and they never played that game again. So what I learned about art education is before you teach teach technique, you have to teach someone to stop the shit scripting and stop judging themselves and learn how to father their inner child and learn how to validate. Mm-hmm. Now, at the risk of like I said, bowling you over with information. When someone practices uh, meditation diligently and practices self-validation diligently, validating the self and validating others, because we're all connected, so it's technically the same thing, and learns to redirect the judgment of the self and the judgment of others, problems start to resolve themselves. Mm. The problems that are typical uh, are that are the reason that guys come to life coaching are, I'm not making enough money. I don't feel that I have job security. Uh, I'm concerned about my health or fitness level. Uh, I'm having body dysmorphia, and I think I'm too skinny or too fat or whatever. Mm. Um, I'm not in a relationship, and I want to be in one, or I'm in a relationship, and I'm struggling with it. Um, I'm not as good of a dad as I want to be. Um, I am dropping the ball on things that I feel like I should be doing that I'm not doing. I'm not living optimally. I'm not hitting the goals I want to hit. So these are all manifestations of of, uh, of uh, problems that occur, which are corrected, basically. The, I mean, the devil's in the details. There's a whole program, but sure. basically. Yeah. Meditation and validation. Makes sense. And you're fixing the root problem, not the symptom. It's holistic, literally. Yeah, exactly. That's mm. what a whole brain thinker would do, right? Well, it's pretty holistic thinking you got there. <laughs> I mean, I think so. So, again, to land the spaceship for a second, uh, the average guy who comes through here, uh, here being my, my little world, um, is as you mentioned, between 20-something and 60-something, is usually a guy who is, you know, these aren't crisis cases typically. I mean, they come along once in a while, but they're usually guys who can afford uh, a coach, you know, whose charges at a, you know, at a, a, a fair but competitive price point. So they're guys making, you know, 100, 
thousand dollars a year up to like I think one of my highest earners is somewhere near ten million, and they're guys who are doing okay, but want to be doing better, and by doing better, that means that they're doing all the things they've been told to do to qualify as a great citizen, but they're actually not happy. <laughs> that must resonate with you a little bit, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I hear it too. I have those conversations as well. And it's, uh, it's the fucking problem is the root. So many people try to deal with the symptom of it. I'm letting my emotions get into it, but I'm right there with you and I'm feeling what you're saying, man. I appreciate it. So keep going. Well, I, you know, I, 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 as much as I like to share, I also like to learn. So, I mean, if you don't mind me asking, so you coach, right? Yep. Yeah. And you deal with people who have some of the same problems that I'm talking about, right? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I mean, we all deal with basically the same problems. It's all at the core, similar types of problems. It stems from somewhere different. But I think a lot of it, what I, what I really work with is a lot of going back to the childhood trauma and figuring out what happened when you were a kid that you've just been dragging with you for years yeah. and years and years. That's part of the reason why I asked the question. That's one of the biggest things that not only did I work deeper on throughout the whole pandemic and everything that was happening, but having conversations mm -hmm. with other men that were going through the deep stuff that was just spitting out. It's almost like um, pimples. When you eat like really, really greasy food for a couple of days, you get a pimple, just that shit trying to get out of your, your system. So seeing stuff mm -hmm. try to get out of people's system and then not knowing what to do with it or how to go about it and how to process it, it's like just poison kind of coming out and they have no idea what to do. It's just spilling out of them. So. Yeah. That's a rough thing to be able to watch people go through, but it's a beautiful thing to actually help them through it and be able to help them kind of process through. I think for a lot of people, it's even just doubling helps where they get to listen and talk and throw things back and forth and be able to have a bit of conversation. Do you experience that too, where sometimes some of your sessions you're talking to somebody, you just ask a couple of questions and by the end of it, they're like, huh, it's this thing. Man, that's great. Thanks. You're like, absolutely. Good talk. Yeah, that's classic Socratic method, right? Yeah. You, you, you have the answer, but you're not addressing the answer. There's mm -hmm. a difference between obliviousness and ignorance, right? Yeah. If you yeah. don't know there's a monster standing behind you, then you're going to act differently than if you turn around and go, oh, crap, there's a monster behind me. I'm just going to ignore him until he goes away. There, there's two different ways of... Yeah. Of, of acting, I think a lot of people are ignoring, which is the true definition of ignorance, they're ignoring this monster, which is a construct that is created by uh, a negative narrative. That negative narrative can come from, hey, my past was XYZ. Or I'm concerned that my future will be X, Y, Z. Neither the past nor the future exists now. Mm -hmm. Only the present. present exists now, which is why meditation 
can be interesting because it asks us to be present, which requires letting go of narratives about the past or the future, right? Yeah, and tying in the validation, like you'd said at that moment, is really doubling down on what your, what your intent is within the meditation, to be present and feel every bit of that presence and feel every bit of that positive side of that and being able to move forward. There are certain conversations I have, and there are certain conversations I have to have with myself at times when you can feel things just kind of swelling up the frustration or the aggravation and being able to just pull your energy back and just breathe for him three, four in, three, four out, whatever it needs to be. And being able to pull yourself back to that and that little bit of meditation throughout the day. It's one of the things that I try to leave with people, like just pull your energy back, pull your energy back and breathe. Mm. Just the beauty within that, because there's moments where if you don't do that, you're going to snap off. But if somebody can catch that, become aware do the breathing, understand that they're in the moment, they're totally good, they're actually okay, and that can shift everything moving forward. I agree. It's funny, you know, you're, you're making me think about the, first of all, my son, uh, who's autistic, um, is very inflexible necessarily in his reactions to things that don't go his way. Mm. And so... Teaching mental flexibility is a full-time job as a dad, especially when you're just like him. You're just wow. a, an older version. So, so one of the things that he's picked up from his uh, teachers is, hey, Bennett, stop, breathe, and think. Mm. And... Sometimes if I'm driving and I don't realize that my yo South Philly's coming out a little bit trying to drive through this San Diego traffic, <laughs> I'll hear my kid in the background go, Dad, stop, breathe, and think. You know, so even though I'll tell guys all day long, meditate and validate, yeah. I might catch myself in a moment where yeah. I'm going, if this motherfucker cuts me off, I swear to God, I'm going to hit him. And I'm like, I'm not saying it, but I'm just, I'm yeah. breathing, my heart rate's up, and he's back there like a PTSD dog or something <laughs> going, Dad, because he can hear my breathing going, Daddy, yeah. stop breathe and think and it's so yeah we should we yeah. should we should audit ourselves constantly make sure that we're physically relaxed make sure i learned this in G, the bjj classes three mm -hmm. times a week i go in there and they're like dude loosen up dude loosen up dude loosen up you're gonna gas out if you keep going like this we should loosen up we should breathe we should do the best we can to be present and the validation is valuable because when our brain automatically goes back to that fear-based thinking, validation is a way of sort of waterboarding the self-conscious with positive <laughs> messaging. So it knocks it off, right? Waterboarding with positive messaging. That's yeah, visual. yeah, yeah. Talk about you. I, mean, when... yeah. <laughs> you I love loved. you, damn it. Yeah, you, you are loved. You are loved. <laughs> like, oh God. How many times do I tell you I love you? <laughs> oh man too good well and we've gotten into a lot here um and i know there's a lot more that we can get get into we've touched on a couple of um major episodes of in your life that have happened that have kind of shifted things for you but are there any others that make sense to talk about that really stand out that you're like look there was this one moment in time that shifted everything outside of the things that we've already talked about that's a good question, man. 
Um, I have to, I have to say that, and I, I, God, I'm sorry that this sounds like a, like something you'd expect a guy, you know, that's promoting a business or whatever to say, but real talk, when I, there's a Japanese concept called Ikigai, right? Mm -hmm. And Ikigai is the center of a Venn diagram, which represents the overlap between what you love what you're good at, what the world needs, and what you can be paid for. Hmm. At a certain point in my life, I sat down and I said, is the thing that I'm doing now my why? Hmm. And it wasn't. And I said, what would describe my why? And some of the answers when I solicited the universe and audited my Myself, some of the answers I came up with are, I want to help people. I'd specifically like to help men. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe in brotherly love, and I'd like to promote it as a way of globally helping the world. And I believe that doing this on a daily basis could also help me heal. Mm-hmm. And so I sat at my table. You and I are looking at each other, so I'm pointing to my little, my little man-up symbol. I actually painted that. Uh, on a piece of paper, and I said, I think this is my symbol, man, up. And in that moment, something happened, and I literally drew my destiny into existence, and almost 10 years later, Mm. um, I am now a product of the principles of my own coaching, kind of the old commercial. I'm yeah. not just the, you know, the, uh, the president of the hair club for men. I'm also, also a client. A client. Yeah. Yeah, You've got to be so, your first client. You've got to be your main client. Yeah, because you, uh, and, and so, and so more than anything else, I mean, rivaling that would be the birth of my son, mm-hmm. but probably more than anything else was the moment where I accepted my why, um, began the journey with Man Up Life Coaching, and began developing genuine relationships based on brotherly love with other brothers and helping guys heal while healing in the process. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. And and I I love the fact that uh, you've gone through all of the auditing. You've brought that up a couple of times, and I think that's a big thing for Mm -hmm. us all to be mindful of. Um, There are times where I know that people feel like they're off. And look, I'm not in your skin or in your head, but the listeners know when they're off when they're a bit off you got to audit yourself you got to be able to figure out what that is and i coach people to understand what their triggers are like what's the actual thing how do you know you're off i know when i'm off when i'm not naturally just up and positive and excited because that's my natural state is that state of joy and if i'm not and i'm like wow fuck this and fuck that i'm like wait a minute dude what's your problem What's wrong? Yeah. Well, I feel about this and blah, blah, blah. Like you said, yeah, you got to parent yourself and you got to be the father with that little kid that's still in there sometimes. Even if you go back through and you Mm. process through all of it, there's still shit that's in there. It's going to come back. But the the fact that you've gone through and you've worked through all of that and you're doing what you're doing, man, you're doing the great work and thank you for doing it. And I appreciate you being on the show. 
And back at you. Thank you, too, man. I mean, I the first time you and I spoke, it was a great connection. The second time, even more so. So I appreciate you for having me. Uh, hopefully I didn't, uh, you know, talk your ear off or get too soapboxy with no, you. No, no, I, I think this has been great. Um, talking my ear off isn't a thing. This is a podcast, so you should talk my ear off. Uh, <laughs> it's a yeah. You're supposed to talk. And, and you weren't yeah, yeah. really up on a pedestal or a soapbox or anything of that sort. I think uh, what we got into is uh, pretty deep. And that's what I aim to do. Uh, so, man, I appreciate you being on the show. Let's, uh, let's kind of wrap this thing up with what's that one piece of advice you give somebody on their path towards self-mastery? Uh, you know, I think mindset before technique is the key to mastery. And I think mindset begins with stillness. So practicing stillness. Uh, which we might call meditation is clutch mm -hmm. and a positive mindset, which means rather than saying, I'm not going to be negative, which is kind of ironic because all you're saying is negative, negative, <laughs> yeah. negative, but instead brainwashing yourself with positive messaging until you believe it stillness yeah. and validation if you practice them, I am a living testament, testament to the fact that everything else will fall in line. Awesome, man. You, you are. I uh, appreciate that. So, Ellis, where can people connect with you? Where can they find you? Um, yeah, if you're interested in uh, the stuff I've been saying and you want to hear more, you can go to uh, manuplifecoaching.com. Or if that's too much to remember, you can go to mailelifecoach.com. Perfect. Well, again, Dennis, thank you for being on the show. Appreciate your time. Thank you, brother. Another great conversation on today's episode of the Mindset and Self Mastery Show. Wow, Dennis truly has an incredible story. And can you imagine being diagnosed with autism later in life? Whew. Even if it's not autism, it may be something else that you or someone you love has been diagnosed with later in life. And, you know, it's interesting to think about the process of thinking and the variations of how we all process. So, since we all process diagnosis and everything else differently than anybody else would... And the way you or I process may be labeled as a certain way of processing. We shouldn't let that stop us, should we? No, we shouldn't let any label hold us back. So, what did you think about today's conversation? I'd love to hear your thoughts on the episode. And if you enjoyed the episode, please jump over to iTunes, subscribe, rate, and leave a five-star review. It helps us to be found and helps others to be healed. And if you really enjoyed the show today, go ahead and share it with a friend. That person that literally just came to mind, for whatever reason they came to mind, just share with them. Just go for it. Why not? Blame it on me if they're like, what the fuck is this? So if you really enjoyed the show today, just share it with whoever comes to mind. That's the moral of that story. And check out the show notes for more information and get contact info for Dennis. And check out the other episodes on themindsetandselfmasteryshow.com, as well as our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and look up The Mindset and Self Mastery Show and ta-da! And thanks again, Dennis, for being real, for being honest, and for getting into some really deep and interesting stuff, and for sharing that with your clients and the rest of the world, and for being vulnerable with us about it all. 
And thank you to you for being a part of this show. And I'd like to thank our sponsors, The Manly Club and The Powerhouse Men Brotherhood. Men, do you consider yourself to be a powerhouse man? The criteria for becoming one is simple. Live with virtue and do good work. You see, a powerhouse man builds his life. He doesn't settle for it. He attacks mediocrity at the root, and that's exactly what we do in the Powerhouse Men Brotherhood. Visit themanlyclub.com for more details. And again, thank you for being with us today. So with that, remember, your mindset matters, and so do you.